Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Bleh. This is a conversation with Stan Harvard from UK Thrasher's Zentrix. Zentrix are one of the UK's big four. First started making waves in the late 80s, early 90s. We get into all that shit, but in the meantime, Zentrix are back in earnest, having put out another album in 2019, Bury the Pain. And from uh, what I hear, a new album in the works, which we'll hear about in a few minutes. Let's get into it. One, two, fuck shit up. Open up, uh, Stan, with with questions about the recent happenings with Zentrix and uh, all, all the things that you got planned in for 2021. Uh, so, can you give us the skinny on a new record? I'm hearing rumblings of demos and things going around. Yeah, in fact, well, because obviously we've had nothing to do for a year, so um, we, we, yeah, we've got we've got more than more than we need for a, a full demo, a full demo, full album. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we're just uh, we're just going through this stuff now, picking the, the best ones, you know. So we've got plenty of stuff to go at. Um, I'm, the process is I, I write the stuff, um, but this time around, Jay's been in, involved in writing the words. He's written, written most of the words this time, which is good because I don't like writing words. <laughs> and um, so we, we, me and him have been recording because um, you can still go in these um, rehearsal places because he lives in Bristol. So we've been meeting up in Birmingham. All right. Which is, is great, because it's the birthplace of heavy metal. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah. Um, and just recording vocal demos um, on top. So now I'm going through the process of teaching um, Dennis, the drummer, and the bass player the bits. So we're putting it all together. But we, we've pretty much done that now. So we're, we're not far off, like, sort of um, booking into some actual studio time and rec starting recording properly, you know. If you got in mind in terms of um, studio and producer and all that stuff, well, um, we'll kind of do it. I'm envisage we'll do it the same way as we did the last one, which is um, we'll go and do the drums with somebody. Hopefully, probably with Andy Sneak, and then um, we'll take it back away and record it all ourselves, and then take it back to him or whoever because he might be busy doing Judas Priest type things. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that's 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 about a lot of them do it these days. It's, I was going to say it's conventional now, isn't it? To track it somewhere and let someone yeah. else do the mixing and the the, the post processing. Because um, the, the kit's a lot more available and not as expensive. And it, the way you can do it, you know, you you can give them the, the DI signals and they can reamp it and stuff. So you, you still get the same sort of big guitar sounds. And it's the drums that you can't really do at home. Mm. Um, so that's why we'll go and do them there and record them properly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, that's that's the plan at the minute. So we just just it's just COVID's just put the mockers on things, you know. But for everyone really. So I'm not moaning yeah. about it. It should be a good year though. Once everyone sort of comes out of it with all this pent up material and and plans and things. It's interesting you say about the methodology because when I'm on this Roadrunner stuff I'm obviously going back and speaking to like the old new wave of British heavy metal artists that we were on the label um, prior to your time and I asked them about like what they're doing in terms of new material and stuff because it's easy as fuck to like send Ableton projects over to each other but they're very much kind of not puritanical but like we need to be in the same room as the lads otherwise it doesn't really vibe with me so it is interesting that I think Chronologically, I'm working towards the generation of people that are embracing the technology a bit more. <laughs> well, I've kind of, it, it, it's me that does that, mainly because um, 
I do the for for a living. I do video editing, so um, it's kind of I've learned to to actually do that side of Pro Tools and mm-hmm. um, Logic and stuff to get my head around it. I've had to, and um, once you know what you're doing, it, it makes life you know you, it's amazing what you can do remotely and stack it all up. And so yeah, but I do like the whole being in the same room. Mm. Um, and writing and recording, which is how we used to do it. So yeah. I, 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 I'm still got that old school sort of um, thinking. In fact, on the last album, um, the Bury the Pen, we actually recorded that in the, in this way, where I wrote the songs and then we, we went to Andy, blah blah blah. But for the we had a, we wanted to do an extra track, um, and so I knew for a fact um, our bass player was the youngest member of the band. He was only four when our first album came out. Um, <laughs> um, so he'd never been into a studio and recorded like live onto tape, which is how we did Chat Existence, um, all playing in the same room at the same time. Um, so we went down and we did one song like that. You can tell it sounds different to the others, but um, it's it's quite cool in a way. It's got like it has it has actually got a vibe. You know what I mean? Mm because um, it was on like a an actual actual tape it's like right and we and we were <laughs> the guy's like um who was recording it um he's like i don't really want to have to go over you know this tape so you've got one more tape to get it right you know and so there was like pressure and it was good it, it worked it was it, it sort of something came from it you know what i mean i think like i'd recommend anyone anyone to just do a little bit of production right because i think once you've done a little bit you understand the the nuances of the vibe in the studio in a in a big way because like you could easily just like play a riff and it's job done but if you capture a particular day of the week or a particular mindset it can change the dynamic entirely one i guess like kind of an on the nose example is that typo negative they did a um a cover of summer girls on bloody kisses in 96 was it exact was it exact cover no, it was Summer Breeze. Oh, fuck it. I've forgotten the trivia. But anyway, basically it was a cover. And the original band said, fuck that. You can't you can't do what you've done. You've either changed the lyrics. You've, fucking, you've got to do the actual song, the actual cover, exactly how we recorded it, instead of making your own version. And there's two. therefore, there's two versions of it. There's one which Pete Steele sort of developed in his own way, which is like the original version. And then there's the one that came out on the album, which was the Like for Like cover. And you can tell the difference in the recording because one is a lot more like the gain is so high. It's like it's, the mic is in his mouth, like the rest of the album, really consistent. And the second one is a little bit of a drier delivery. But you don't notice it until you've heard that story. And I think yeah. those nuances are so important and people don't realize it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot can affect just what comes out in, in all manner of things, not just vocals, you know, in, uh, in drums and guitars and all sorts, just what comes out in the day, you know, mm. how, you, how everyone's feeling. Have you had too much to drink the night before? <laughs> yeah. Have you got any um, gigs lined up this year then, as we sort of mosey our way out of lockdowns and whatnots? Well, yes. Um, this year, I think the, the, the next gig that it's looking like we're supposed to be doing is actually in Germany in November Shit, um, which is a it's a festival called 
Um, I think it's a metal, metal Hammer Paradise, I think it's called. Oh, that sounds familiar. And I think, like, Saxon are on on the day we're on. There's quite a lot of new wave of British heavy metal. It's not that much mm-hmm. thrash on. Um, and the second day, I think it's, like, German stuff like Blind Guardian. And, mm. um, actually, I don't know the difference. What's the difference between Udo, the band, and Dirk Schneider, the band? I don't know. <laughs> but Dirk Schneider are on. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so um, we've got that. And then in December, we're supposed to be going for a weekend away to Russia. Oh, nice. With Destruction. Oh, I'm just doing really? two gigs with Destruction. And uh, a Swedish band called Enforcer. Right. That's uh, bitching. Yeah, it should be that. I mean, if it happens, yes. You know, at the minute, nobody, nobody knows about anything. Mm. So we just say yes to everything and then deal with it when it gets cancelled, you know. Yeah, no else you can do really. I'm just hoping no. Bloodstock's on this year because I need my I need my release. <laughs> I need to like put the keys and wallet in a locker and just have my health for five days. That's it. I, I, I mean, it's looking like it might do, but you know, it, it felt like when they were when they were announced it, everybody was going, "No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen." But who knows? You know. Yeah, Depends. still things are getting cancelled, but I think that might be an admin thing because. It must be like an insurance job or something like that. Yes. Like they can't get the insurance for the events because they don't really know. Therefore, no. they can't they can't muster the risk just in case. So, yeah, we're treading the line a bit. We'll see what happens. Like, but today's the day, isn't it, where things started opening up a bit more. Cineworld opens up in on in went on Wednesday, so that's my evenings. And I am not doing an interview. I can right back and watch some sort of shitty re-release of Flash Gordon like I did last time <laughs> uh, lockdown was eased. But anyway. Uh, would you like to talk about your former employers? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> remember. Um. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 go in the way back machine and um, let's have a, a gander. So the sweet there's a cool there's a cool thing online I found. It's, it's the sweet vengeance demo. Um, right. Well, it's actually two demos. It's a sweet vengeance demo, then a roadrunner demo. How yes. did? Yeah, yeah, how did that? How did this my this the transition and this evolution come about from Sweet Vengeance into Zentrix, and how does well, it play into the Roadrunner timeline if it does? Um, we did that demo. Um, I think it was, I think it was for my 18th. I think my dad paid for that for my 18th birthday. That that first demo, and um, we sent it around all the labels, like you do, and we sent it to Metal Forces who were reviewing demos, mm. and. Um, I don't think we didn't send it to Roadrunner. Um, they're not on your radar. Oh, was no. it just? <laughs> it was like an admin oversight. I was like, no, I never heard of them. No, we, we kind of, you know, uh, probably, probably sent it to all the ones that no one, you know, we probably sent it to Music for Nations and I don't know, I can't remember. Dennis, I think it was it was Dennis that was sending the demos out. Mm. And um, but he sent it to Metal Forces who reviewed it. And I'm trying to remember how Mark. Mark Palmer, who was working at Roadrunner, actually got in contact with us. There must have been an address on there. Mm. And he got in contact with us and said, why haven't you sent me a demo? <laughs> so um, we uh, I, I, we did have a manager at the time, so he hastily sent, he got him on the phone, I think. And uh, we sent him a demo and he, they were interested. And um, he actually, we told him, our manager told him that we had a gig um, in Leyland at this small club and um, you know he, he, he got Mark to come up from London 
and uh, come and watch us. Mm. And what he didn't tell, we didn't have a gig. Um, <laughs> we were playing above a pub in a function room. Nice. And he only told him when he actually walked in the room that there wasn't a gig. It was just we were going to play for him. What was his reaction um, to that? Did he feel sorry? Did he feel special after learning that? Well, uh, it was it was it was a bit of a sort of um, it was a bit weird, obviously sort of playing to just one person and you know headbanging and things like that it was a bit bit strange but we just we just did it because we were like teenagers really um and i think our manager had made sure that he'd missed his last train or missed the you know he couldn't get a train you know so he had to stop over and anyway the next day they offered us a deal so we were like right yeah i mean you know at the time it was like anything would just take anything so mm. um i think they offered us a seven album deal at the time we didn't get to seven albums um, that's usually the that's the the modus operandi road run at, at the time so six seven albums option after the second yeah about, I, use, I don't know about late 80s but certainly mid early 80s about five grand advance um, yeah that sounds about right I'm trying to remember I think we might have got more than that I think our first one was seven yeah yeah things uh, are moving on a bit I think once we start approaching the 90s and it's effectively a 360 deal at that point I think it was like 360 deals before 360 deals were normal that was yeah. it but to play devil's advocate I guess even though you were taking anything you could get Roadrunner is quite a reliable vehicle for metal especially at that time when they were resting on the thrash and the death and the things like that yeah I mean at the time they, they didn't have I mean they, they had the sort of the, the the stuff coming in from um, America like Sacred Reich who weren't signed to them in America were they, they were only in Europe um, because we had a, our first album we were going to call it Crimes Against Humanity believe it or not wow and um, Sacred Reich were going to call their album that and they Roadrunner made us change it he said, "Oh, you know they're they're above you, so you're gonna have to change your your album title." We were like, "Sorry, lads." Yeah, it was like bastards. <laughs> so um, we changed it to Shattered Existence, and then they then the, the, the week later they said, oh, no, "We're not using that title now. We're gonna call it American Way." We were like, "We don't want your crappy title now, anyway." So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but then yeah. The main guy, Case, um, he wasn't sure about us, if I remember rightly. Um, he, he thought we were a bit too clean cut for Roadrunner. Um, <laughs> that's, an interesting, that's an interesting comment. I, I remember something about that. He was on about like, yeah, can we get some photographs of them in the gutter eating rats? And we were like, whoa, you know, that's one of the things I remember. I don't think um, he's impressed him before though, has he? That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could have sorted that out. Um, and so that's why we did that demo for them. That was um, in London. They, they sent us down to London. All right, so he was, so you had a sweet Avengers demo, which was like, this is, that this is the, the I guess is the deal. And then they sent you off to do another demo to solve. Yeah, it was kind of like, well, assess viability, I guess. Yeah, so we just, I think we did three songs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, interesting. So why did you change the name then? Because if they've signed you as Sweet Vengeance, have they? Or are they... No. Um, was that before? No, we, we changed beforehand, I think. Right, okay. I think so. Christ, I can't remember. Um, yes, we did change beforehand. And that was like, one of the things was, right, you, you've got like 
five days to pick a name for a new name for your band, you know. I mean, none of us, Sweet Vengeance was just like a, a band name that Chris Astley had from when he was at school. You know, it was a proper new wave of British heavy metal style name, you know. Yeah. Anything with Sweet and Vengeance in it, it was like, you know. Um, so it was it didn't fit the, the, the band but so we ended up with um and I, I still to this day don't really recall how the we ended up with Zentrix mm. um it was I think it was we were going through the dictionary and stuff and picking words I think the idea was let's try and find something that isn't anything or you know it, it's its own sort of thing so you just associate it with the with this band you know mm. um that was the that was the idea. Whether or not we actually did that, I don't think we did. But um, yeah, and, and I think then somebody said, well, "Let's put two X's on it and make it pointy." And you know, that, that's how it so it came out. <laughs> I remember at the time. I think none of us liked it. We were like, "Is that it? Are we is that what we're going with?" You know, <laughs> it's so fucking. It's so northern. This entire Zorlite debacle is incredibly yeah. northern. And and, and the, the, the record company, I'm like Mark, were like, they were all like, no, no, we like it, it's great. You know, it's 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 different, it's different. And that's what it needs to be. We were like, okay, you know, fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll just carry on what we're doing and play the music, you know. Yeah. So well, did you get any feedback from any other labels when you were sending them out to everyone under the sun who wasn't Roadrunner? Not really, no. We just got the usual sort of uh, thanks, but no thanks, if there was anything, really, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't any competition, really. That wasn't, you know, there wasn't, any, like, loads of labels vying for us. It was just, no, nah, there weren't. It was, I, I, you, you don't know if anything gets listened to in those instances, really, you know what I mean? It's fire and forget, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Really? So, you, you, just, you just put it out there and see what happens. I mean, I... I don't even know what the situation it is is with that net these days. I have no idea what what the how it how it works. I don't even think the, obviously you don't send tapes to CDs anymore, do you? But I don't. Know. The, it's all from what I can gather. It's all Spotify metrics. That's like the driving yeah. force behind most of the A and R functionality from the people I've been speaking to so far. But um, yeah, it's it's difficult to discern these days knowing what little revenue there is in the conventional streaming markets and things I think with, the thing is though with metal it's it's kind of different there's never been more money in metal than now because the tangible vinyl market is fucking huge absolutely huge the amount of people who've bought Eval's Hell Unleashed on vinyl and just posting those online it's like this is there's a lot more going on than there used to be in terms of brick and mortar products going out the door for metal yeah. Again, we don't know what the, we don't know what the trickle down is. We don't know what the deals are these days. So mm. it's difficult to assess exactly what. If anyone's doing a profit and loss sheet and going, am I going to sign this band or not? They got fifty thousand active listeners on on Spotify. I don't know what it translates to. It's just a little bit on nuance these days. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. It's a strange old strange old thing at the minute, really. Like so. Yeah. Um, I did. I did actually. Um, I was in. It was actually in Preston about three weeks ago, and um, there was a like the usual outdoor market, and the guy selling albums. And I always have a, a little bit of a look if he's got a metal section, you know. I always have a little bit. And there, lo and behold, there's a, a brand new, well, brand newish, um, Fruits Advantage, oh, seventy wow. quid. 
<laughs> Even you're like fucking fucking <laughs> scalpers. <laughs> I mean, if it if it had been like a fiver, I might have bought it off him. But I was like, no, I'm not. I mean, he said he came over to me. He was like, I'll do you ten percent off that. I said, that's my band. <laughs> so I ended up signing it for him. <laughs> there you go. It's sixty five quid now. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hell, that's good. <laughs> so you didn't know you didn't know the Roadrunner were a viable uh, candidate or oh, you didn't know they didn't have a reputation with you guys at that point did you quickly wise up did you realise oh shit this is the Merciful Fate vehicle this is the this all this is where Metallica and Slayer came into Europe did that eventually dawn on you after time I mean that was one of the things when they were interested well who, who else have they got and we were like looking through Kerrang and looking at the adverts you know and it was like well we got King Diamond we were never big King Diamond fans, really, you know. So it was a bit of a, like, who, who else have they got? I mean, it, it, I'm trying to remember who they did have at the time. Um, I think they have... Oh, when you sent me those adverts, it, it reminded me of some of the things, like um, Phantom Blue. Mm. You know, the, the old girl band, the, the Widdly Widdly guitar old girl band. Who else did they have? I can't remember. Yeah, remember. that's time. Yeah, yeah, around that time. I think Beneath the Remains comes out same year as Shattered Existence, didn't it? Yes, um, because when they when they came over to um, they did a couple of nights at the Marquee Sepultura, and we were down, so we went actually went to those gigs, met them because we were like, you know, and um, I always remember um, it was Igor. It, 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 Mark introduces this is Zentrix blah 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 this is Sepultura we're like ah yeah yeah and Ego just comes over to me and says see him see him there and he gets me to say something to this guy in Portuguese I was sort of like repeating what he said and he's like ha 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 you just called his mother a whore <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks standard um, British personality yeah, like okay <laughs> um, but no, they were, they, were, they were quite good when we we did own for them a few years later mm. and um, they remembered us weirdly enough oh that's yeah. nice of them yeah, was, yeah they were nice they were nice guys <laughs> yeah so they they had Annihilator um, that was after us as well though I think it was, I think it's like bang on the same time they were definitely yeah. like in the pipeline around the same time um, Cerebral Fix around that's the same time. it well, they were definitely after us because they were um yeah, they 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 come. They did they do some gigs with us. They they were like talking to our management because mm. I remember the guy from Cerebral Fix, Cerebral, obviously yeah. Tony, Mister Warburton, if it was him. I know, I know, he was like he was head, heading it up in the latter years. I don't know about back. What was back. the bass player called? I can't remember. I can't remember. It don't matter. It don't matter. Do you remember who else was working at the office at that point? We've got yes. Mike Palmer. So Mark was the main guy. Um, there was a guy called Rudy, and I can't remember his last name. Reed. Reed, that's it, of course. Yeah. And they had a young girl working there called Sophie, mm -hmm. um, who's kind of dealt, dealt with us quite a bit, really. Right, okay. Taking yeah. us out to press stuff, and she came on a few gigs and stuff. Yeah, did you meet Case at all? Was he present? No. No. Fair enough. Probably no. between Amsterdam was, and New York. Yeah. 
I don't think he was doing much in New York back then. I don't think so. I think he was more sort of just doing the European things really at that, that, that time. Yeah. Because um, they, they were their their offices in London was like just some little crappy pit. You know, it really was. The office when we went when we first went to the office, we were really disappointed because it, it was just like it wasn't some glamorous record company offices with like pictures and gold discs on the wall. It was just like a crap little above a shop, sort of London terrace sort of thing. And um, it was just massively disappointing. We, we, we spent quite a bit of time there doing, when we first got signed, doing like press, doing phone interviews and stuff. And, um, you know, it was, the only thing we could do was like rob CDs when they weren't looking because we piles of CDs and like, at the time, they were quite a commodity, you know. You get them back, get them home, and go rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't just all Roadrunner bands; they got like CDs from other companies as well. So, yeah, we just steal CDs and vinyl and stuff. I've still got some upstairs, you know. Can do say that, man. Mark will come knocking again. That's true. I know he will be. So, give me them back. <laughs> yeah, they were quite tight. That's. Um, what, when we did what, our first um, time down in London, um, they put us up at there's a, a quite a famous rock and roll hotel called the Columbia on Lancaster Gate, so opposite Hyde Park. It, from the outside, it looks quite grand, but inside, it's it's a bit of a pit, you know. And they do the rooms with like four beds in, <clears throat> and I think that's where that Mark give them the crummy room comes from that you mentioned. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Well, we must have said that because you know, I think, I think that was what you know. Whenever he rang them up to book us in, give, yeah, give them the crummy room. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we had some quite wild nights there. But I remember the first time we went down there, we were all quite young and obviously skint, and um, it was London prices. And uh, we figured out that if we stayed in the bar, we could put stuff on our room, and, and Roadrunner pay for it. <laughs> so I think we, we ran up some like you know it was nothing at the time it was probably like 60 quid bar bill you know what I mean yeah probably a round of drinks would cost you 60 quid now and uh, oh it went it didn't go down well at all with 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 Roadrunner you know with Mark he fell out with us about that was <laughs> <laughs> that like we were being rock and roll that's what we're supposed to do god <laughs> fair enough so Shad Existence comes out um and you go about a Ghostbusters single. So the the cover for that was changed. Quite a famous story. But I'm interested in how it got out the door in the first place. But did the did the label just not give a fuck? They were just like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. Let's let's stir up a bit of a controversy here and give uh, give the film studio the, the old up yours. I th think um, I just don't think they thought that it would be a problem. Really? Literally, okay. that's all I thought. I think they just thought it'd be all right, you know, <laughs> like it'd be fine, wouldn't it? Um, and it was only at the last minute. I, th I think somebody said, "Do you not think we'd better like send them a letter and just check?" And that's that's when it was like, "Oh, oh dear," you know. <laughs> they just sent them a desist letter. You know, if you use this, we will sue you. Oh, okay, but we better not use that then, even though they literally had them all printed up. You know. Mm. So, um, foolishly, we used to throw them out at gigs. I should have kept a box, shouldn't I? <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be plenty floating around there. You'll see it at market day next time you go down. 
Yeah, but how much will that be? <laughs> I've seen it actually. It's, I've seen it for sale. It goes for stupid money if you get the the old cover. Yeah, That's ridiculous money because you just can't get them with that cover. Yeah. yeah, I did actually. I've got um, um, one of the t-shirts. Can we show you? Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's quite old. You can't really tell. It's not dark enough, but it's actually glow in the dark. Hey, that's all right, isn't it? We would have sold a million of these, wouldn't we? We'd be yeah. rich beyond our wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah. Still looks good, though, for what? 30-odd years? Yeah, um, but th- there was, there's only two of these made. Um, Bravado, the company, mm-hmm. that they did them, and then they got the same sort of, uh, oh, we better not use this. Yeah, fair Just enough. Just time thing on the back. Such <laughs> uh, a shame, isn't it? We'd have sold a million of them. Yeah, the AO, that's your, uh, your pension sorted out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> so during your tenure with, uh, with Roadrunner, you had a, re- a release of original music every year, whether it was in a, an LP or an EP or something like that. They kept, you, they kept you fucking busy. Was there like a method to the madness or was it just your own work ethic going at it? I think it was a mixture of the two. I, 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 don't, I don't think... It's weird because it, when I think back what we accomplished in such a short space of time, relatively now. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. It just felt like, uh, right, you know, you, that, this is what you're doing. You write some songs, you go and record them, you go and play some gigs and repeat, you know. It, um, I mean, we never we never got to do enough touring, I don't think, at the time. You know, we, we never got the sort of big, um, you know, tour support around Europe, so, it always felt like, you know, for a shattered existence, we only did like 12 dates around the UK with Sabbath and then a few gigs with, by ourselves and with some other bands, you know, like we opened for, um, we did open for Sacred Reich. You know, we played some gigs with Slammer, uh, bands like that, I can't remember at the time, yeah. all of them. But yeah, we didn't do like, you know, months away, which some of the other bands, who were on a similar level to us got to do, particularly yeah. the American ones. You know, they all got to go, come over to Europe. You know, and like, we never got to go over there. We were always jealous of that. I do wonder if like the A and R function between different different territories is really treated in a dramatically different way. Because I know the U.S. office, like the Monte Connors of the world, they were the strategic A and R resource, whereas. The UK and Germany and the other ones that don't have as many sort of like signings to their name quite as much. No. So I wonder if there was like a strategy to that where the US acts maybe by virtue of being a US act got a certain treatment, but the other territories had to prove themselves, reach a certain threshold before they can do that. So I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think yeah. I think the the, the they definitely um, seen as you know, if they were you know, if they were um, a US, if, if, particularly if they were like a Bay Area band, then mm. they'd get you know instantly get sort of like brought over here to do uh, shows and package tours, you know, which obviously is a thing now. But back then, I think they were doing it first, and we, you know. We, we, we never got to do enough of those. That's that, that was the thing I always feel a bit a little bit cheated of. But there you mm. go. Yeah, yeah, but I guess. Um, so, Kin, 
so I keep reading that it was like a change of direction with the band and things like that. I don't I think it was just like a natural progression I don't feel like it's it's I don't feel like it's not thrash I don't feel like it's prog or anything like that I feel like it was like the natural steps to take I don't know if you I, this is me just reading the last few weeks and getting acquainted with all the material Am I right in saying that people thought it was like a, a, a radical departure and it's actually bollocks and it's just a normal, normal stepping um, stones? No, I think it was it was us trying to be trying it was us trying to survive really because mm. um, at the time, you know, it, it was it was a funny time for metal and and it was all changed. You know, like Metallica were changing, Metallica were going doing ballads. Well, no, yeah, proper ballad. You know, and they were like you know if they did something then everyone had to try and follow and all the thrash stuff was dying on its ass mm. so you know in the UK there, were, there was literally us left and um, you know so we had to try and well, at the time we thought let's try and sort of diversify a bit become a bit more sort of rounded and um, I, I, personally I don't think it worked it's it's my least favourite record um, mm. But I'm guilty of a lot of it, so I can't, you know. So a lot of it was my idea, so I can't really uh, blame anyone else for it. But no, I always feel like it's it's not the record that should have come after. I know it came after um, Dialect of Taste, but Dialect of Taste was only an EP, but you know, after Fruit's Advantage. And that's why when we yeah. did the, the last one, that was kind of what I wanted to do was make the third album that should have come after Fruit's Advantage, really. And I think, I think it does sit better. I think Kin's almost like a blip. I mean, people like it, and I like some of it. Um, but, yeah, you know, yeah, everyone's got their own opinion on it, haven't they? I think, like, a lot of the bands do the same, a similar kind of thing, though, where um, they try and diversify a little more. I know Defiance's third album around the same time incorporated a lot of sort of grungy elements, and it sounds a little bit awesome changing in parts, and I think it's fucking great. But then again, it's probably my age, like... It didn't feel like none of that feels like a culture shock to me because you know i started with nirvana and things like right. that so uh, but um the thing I, that was missing from kin was the the killer hell of a guy <laughs> from hell and the liner notes and the guitar sound so it could, do, could have done with like a proper production really that's it's one of the things that, that's like lacking on there because we used to play a few songs even on the reunion stuff we played a couple live and they, they did sound all right you know um but just, just hindsight and all that, you know, it's easy to sort of point the finger, isn't it? Especially these days when it's a, we're moving into digital live sound and it's a lot easier to churn out a proper good mix quite quickly. And when you compare it with like the, the, the competencies of, of the studio in those days, it's like, oh, this is like a, a stark difference. Yeah, everything really, everything's, there's, there's almost no bad gear these days. Um, compared to what we we were using back in the day, you know, like guitars and amps and everything, you know, um, ch a cheap guitar was awful. A cheap guitar now is all right, you know. There's like it's almost, it's almost like when I pick up like a sort of three four hundred quid guitar, it's like, well, this is like a a thousand pound guitar when I was starting out, you know what I mean? It's like a, a cheap guitar was awful. You couldn't hardly play it; would never stay in tune. Back mm. then, back in the eighties, like you know, so. Um, yeah, yeah every, everything's got a bit different, really, gear-wise, I think. Everything's sort of, like, reached that level that there's no excuse, really, for things to sound sound really bad. 
Mm. It's like we were saying earlier, it's like usually a recording would cost thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Now you can chop it up and pump more money into post production and things like that. But yeah, so but it's we're lucky, my lot. <laughs> in some ways, but you know, there's 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 something about going in the studio and actually doing it all together and actually getting that those sounds and spending time doing it and you know it being a an actual process that's that's kind of lost now but that's just economics you know mm. the economics of doing it that way just for a band of our size just aren't there you know what I mean yeah yeah so during this time what's your relationship with Roadrunner like I know you said you felt they cheated because you didn't get put on the road a lot and they were quite skinned Oh, stingy, I guess is the word. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They were, they, were, they were the only ones making any money. Um, now we, we always, we always sort of, you know, um, always stay, still, still stay friends with Mark. Still speak to him now. You know, um, he came on my stag do, you know, ten years ago, and came to my wedding. You know, um, so, yeah. But yeah, we, 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 you know, we have sort of like our opinions and we'd vent on each other at that, that time you know but he'd deal a lot with our um, with our actual manager so we'd kind of just find out the sort of bits and bats of what was going on you know after the fact yeah sort of yeah yeah, yeah fair enough so how did the relationship come to an end then um, they just said oh we're not we're not <laughs> we're not going to uh, pick you pick up your next option so it's uh, so, oh, okay right Okay, so so long and thanks for all the fish, really. You know, um, yeah, I think it was just it was just a phone call like that. I think from Mark. Just I remember him saying it. It's like, okay, right. Um, so I think that at the time they they dropped a lot of bands, um, and I think it was I, I heard the rumor I heard was that they were they were getting together so they could offer. Um, I think it was Slipknot a big a big deal, like a major label. Um, to keep them on the on the on on Roadrunner, and that was kind of the start, mm. I think, of um, you know the the, the Monty Connor sort of uh, sweep. You know when he came in and sort of um, you know they, they turned into like quite a big metal label then after us. You know, yeah, it's um, the Roadrunner United days. They found, you know? Yeah, it's it's they sort of found some niches and made them. A, a lot bigger and it, they found certain sounds because around the, t the time you were with them they were diversifying a lot like into alt rock and some other areas and things yeah. like that but towards like the Slipknot area and Nickelback area you've got like these two platinum bands which then keep the lights on so they can keep doing metal basically that seems to be the yeah arc. yeah yeah you know um, but yeah I think I think they were they were basically sort of cleaning the decks at the time and um, you know the idea was that they just put all the money into offering Slipknot this deal, which obviously paid off for them. You know, I'm not I'm not bitter about it. It was yeah, like, totally. That's way it happens. That's a Corey Taylor owes you a drink. Yeah. That's what you're fucking saying. Yeah. Did you uh, approach Mark again when you reformed? Um, I think Chris did. I think Chris sent him. Ashley sent him the stuff, but. Um, and we did, we did get some interest from Nuclear Blast, from um, one of the German guys through Andy. Um, mm -hmm. But it, 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 
we, we I think they all uh, Mark knew uh, Laurent who's the guy from Listenable that we ended up going with then he, that was one of the reasons he approached mm-hmm. us he was a big Zentrix fan and um, it, I think I think that was the thing I think he kind of he wouldn't he wouldn't have taken us off because Laurent wanted to put us out you know and he'd be like, like a good right. year and a half before we actually finished the record he, he, he came mm. to we did a gig in Belgium and um, he was there and he spoke to us you know and he was like when you when you want to do a record I'll sort you out I'll sort you out you know so I think that was kind of the thing um, but yeah I mean you know we speak to we speak to Mark all the time really always sending him offensive texts and you know you see even like with Monte Connor I think with his obviously A and R stamp, there's a lot of bands in the US and a lot of them who fell off as well in in sort of the 80s and 90s. He's still on like regular speaking terms with loads of them. I just think it's part of that community, just how it fucking goes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't, you know, you're gonna be big enough to. It's, it's just business, and it? it's just the way it, where, where the cookie crumbles. You know, it's not. Um, mm. I mean, Zentrix was on on definitely on the way down then anyway. Um, after Kin, that was kind of our sort of make or break, and then we did one more record with a different singer, and then you know that's another, it's another record that shouldn't be as entrance record really. The scourge, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, again, I like it, but it's not really the same band, you know. At the, at the time, we wanted to change the name, um, but um, heavy metal records. Um, they were like, oh no, no, no. If we put it out, it's got to be a Zentrix record. And, the, you know, we were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this thing out. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's so northern. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Like, ah, fuck it, yeah. <laughs> whatever. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll put it out as that then. We couldn't think, couldn't be asked thinking of a different name anyway. It was like, hours, uh, evenings. Just some of the some of the names we come up with, you know, you just end up going around in circles and then it just ends up being comedy names you know and it's just like you get nothing done then <laughs> yeah talk yeah. so these days um, you guys are coming back at, uh, in amidst what is regarded as a thrash revival which happened in sort of the mid noughties what do you what do you reckon about that as a landscape and a, a kind of an ecosphere and how we compartmentalise newer thrash bands um I don't know. I mean, there's some obviously there's some great stuff. Um, I remember quite a while ago when Eva were first starting. I got an email from all. I think they'd just done the first demo, and he sent it to me. And um, you know, we saw him at one of the gigs. In fact, I remember at the time, uh, my son um, wanted one of these. Um, you remember the, the Nintendo Wii things? Mm-hmm. And there was a year when it came out at Christmas. You couldn't get the controllers. You could get the things, but you couldn't get the extra controller. I remember seeing all and I was like, oh, I can't get this out. He says, oh, I work at game. I'll get you one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I forgot what I was on about now. I was just wondering about Eva. Just about they're, they're, they're great. You know, the, the, those guys are great. Um, the Shrapnel guys, who, you know, are, are brilliant. There's some, some great great thrash metal out there um, I don't know it, it, how we fit into all that I, I think we just 
we just like we've just got that Zentrix legacy really I think that's just I think it was a, I think it was late two late 2000s there was a spate of reunions I think you were united for a couple of years as well yeah um my my thing is though, at what point do we stop calling it thrash revival and start just calling it fucking thrash? Because how many eras do you want to go through? Well, that's it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. Really, <laughs> I don't really study it enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know the only people that haven't come back were Slammer, um, which we tried to get them to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, obviously, with Milo dying, I don't think that's going to happen now anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the Sabbath one, because I went um, when they got back together first time round, um, I went on a few of their foreign gigs um, and videoed it. Right. And um, I, I got to see sort of first hand, you know, this was before Zentrix had done it. I was like, oh, we should we should definitely do this if we if we can go away and have this much fun, mm-hmm. you know, play metal with your mates because that's basically what it's about, you know. Um, that's why we do it because we love it. You know, we definitely don't do it for the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something to be said uh, for lowering the stakes, isn't there? Say again. You mean, There's something to be said for lowering the stakes. Like if you just don't, obviously take it seriously, but understand that it is having a laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's weird because it's strangely enough in the last sort of I don't know five years of getting back together and playing gigs, we've done way better stuff gig wise and tour wise than we did when we were doing it properly. It's so called in the Roadrunner days. You know, I mean, we got to go to Japan before the pandemic hit. It's like how good's that? You know. Mm. I know it was all, albeit for two days. We went yeah. to Tokyo for two days. It's two days more than most of the people on the planet, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was ace. Um, you know, but you know, we got to do loads of European stuff, um, and you know, write records and, and enjoy it. That's that is the main thing. Like you say, it's, um, back then, obviously, you, you, you think you're going to change the world, and you think you're going to be like you know the, the next big thing in, in the back of your mind you know you're always thinking that's what we need to do we need to be everything ma- nothing else matters and it's, it's that that's sort of the whole you're focused on you know um and now it's not that at all it's but in some ways it makes 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 it sort of more focused and you're clear about what you're doing in the strange type of way mm. so yeah. um yeah i much prefer it I much prefer what we what we like now as to what yeah. we were then. Yeah. Um, like on a personal level as well, we're we're enjoying it a hell of a lot more. We get on with each other easier, you know. There's no, you know, there's no real animosity at all. Not that there was a lot back in the day, but you know, we we definitely fall out more back then. Mm. Yeah. What do you have any? Would you do anything differently? Oh. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, in fact, loads of stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it is. Yeah, um, I probably. Now, the, the the big one is: Would you have done Ghostbusters? Isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Oh. Part of me's like, I want to say no, but then it's like you know, it, it's one of them things that people love it 
most people love it and, and saw the, the, the comedy in it but we didn't really want to be a comedy band we just we, it was just a bit of like you know let's not be take everything super seriously that, that was what the Ghostbusters was um, yeah. but yeah we didn't you know we, the, everyone else was doing comedy stuff and we, we didn't really want to do that and we ended up sort of falling into that that sort of thing really well, I don't know. Yeah, but I probably would say yes. We probably we probably would do that one, but there's loads of other little things that I would change. Looking back, yeah, like production wise and bits and songs and things. There's loads of things I'd, I'd changed that I probably couldn't really. It'd take me too long to tell you them all, really. It probably even if you made those changes at the time and made all the right calls, you'd probably be still sat here now going, "Yeah, probably." Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. It's it's. You, you just don't know, do you? It's, it's you can't win. You know, but you can never win. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have liked to have got more tours under our belt. That would have been good. Um, yeah. We just didn't really get the chance, I don't think. Um, we, we did. We did two European tours: one with Annihilator, one with Tankard. They were great. You know, they were great, great, great tours, and we really went down well on those. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to have, you know, I mean, it would have been great to have got out to America. Yeah. But there you go. It's, it's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately. All right, man, well, that's, that's all I've got for questions and things like that. All right. I very much appreciate you, uh, presumably after a working day, coming and talking about your old employers. It's all right, no, no problem. Yeah. What do you have? You say?